Oh, good morning. Good to hear your joy. The presence of God is in this place, and that is my prayer that he will speak to us this morning. If you know him, that you will get to know him even more. If you don't know him, that you'll meet him today, and that your life will be changed because of it. We have been in this message series called Exodus. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, and we are going through this story of what God did with his people thousands of years ago and learning from it and getting to know the heart of God more and more. And last week, Reuben began this series, and he began by telling us the start of this incredible story in chapter 1. And he described how frustrating it can be to start a TV show in season 2. There's nothing more frustrating because you don't know the story, you don't know what's happening, you don't know the characters. In my case, my husband is a big fan of The Office. Who's The Office fans here? All right, a lot of you. <laughs> and my husband loves The Office, and a lot of our close friends are the ones who raise their hands right now. So I'm usually the one who they make, they say one sentence, one word, and they all start laughing, and I'm just there like the only one left out because I didn't understand. And so... I want to continue this message today, and I'm going to introduce the main character in this story, and I want to start by giving us some quick context. So Exodus chapter 1 starts with a description of the Hebrew people. Time had passed since Joseph, a Hebrew himself, had been used by God to save all of Egypt from a famine. Pharaoh now, hundreds of years later, he had forgotten all about Joseph, and, and now he started to feel threatened by the way that the Hebrews were growing in number versus the Egyptians. And so he decides to stunt their growth by basically ordaining a genocide, where all Hebrew boys were to be killed at birth. It's tragic. And one doesn't have to look very far in history to see how the hardened heart of one man can inflict suffering and pain and death on millions of people. And so Pharaoh, he decrees that all baby boys be killed at birth. But in chapter 2, we read that a Levite woman becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son and she hides him for as long as she can. She hides him for about three months. When she can hide him no longer, she places the child in a basket and puts him in the river. A couple weeks ago, I was sitting with JD and I had the brilliant idea that we should watch the Prince of Egypt together. Who's watched Prince of Egypt? It's basically, if you're a Christian, you've watched Prince of Egypt. <laughs> a Christian in Portugal or in the West. Uh, if you haven't watched it, then go on YouTube and watch The Prince of Egypt. It's an animated movie about the story of Moses in Exodus. And so I thought it was a great idea that JD, being two years old, would watch this with me. <laughs> and so we're sitting there watching, and it didn't take me longer than three minutes to realize this was not an age-appropriate movie. <laughs> Uh, it, starts with a, it starts with a song called Deliver Us. And, and basically, the movie starts with showing the Egyptian slave driving the Hebrews. And I'm starting to think, mm, maybe this isn't the right thing to be watching. <laughs> but she was fine with that. And next thing, this movie, as the song plays out, it goes into the heart of this mother. And it shows this mother doing her best to hide her son, to protect her son. And as she places her son in a basket on the river and departs from him, 
JD bursts into tears and starts crying and Ruben runs into the living room. What's happening? What happened? And I'm feeling like the worst mother ever. JD, no more movie, no more movie. Mommy's here, I'm not leaving you. But even at two years old, she felt the pain of this mother. She felt the sacrifice of this mother to try to protect her son and puts him in a basket and put, places him in the river. Well, the story goes on and Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses and she picks up the basket and realizes this is probably a Hebrew baby and so she feels sorry for him and she keeps him and Moses grows up in privilege he is the step grandson of Pharaoh himself and everything is going pretty well for Moses when in chapter 2 there's a major plot twist Moses being a Hebrew that is his identity, that is his roots, that is where he comes from. He starts to feel uncomfortable with the injustice that his people are living under the Egyptians. And one day he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and he takes matters into his own hands and he kills him. And people find out. And Pharaoh finds out. And so Moses has to run for his life and from one day to the next, he goes from being the prince of Egypt to a fugitive in the desert. He's lost everything. And that's where we pick up today. Moses has been in the desert for 40 years. In the meantime, he, he became a shepherd. He, he got married. He started a family. He spent the last 40 years in the wilderness as a shepherd. He names his first son Gershom, which says, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning. We don't usually do this, but we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. And I want you to be focused. I want you to, to read internally with me as I lead us in reading. Exodus chapter 2 ends this way. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abram, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. That's how Exodus chapter 2 ends. The Bible is also a page turner. It's, it ends in a way that foreshadows that God heard the cry of his people and he is about to do something. And so we turn to chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold... The bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And then Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And so when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. You may be seated. All right, so Moses is going about his normal day. Tending to the sheep for Moses was like going to the office for you and I. It was a normal day of work. Nothing unusual. It was routine. He did this every day. It was the expected. He woke up that morning thinking it was a day like any other. And it is in this context that Moses has the most incredible encounter 
with God that completely, radically transforms his life forever. He collides with the presence of the Most High God in the most unexpected, alone, remote, obscure place. I find it interesting that Moses wasn't at a men's conference. He wasn't in a worship night having an emotional moment with God. He wasn't even at church when God encounters him. God called him on a Tuesday when he is just going about his normal life. We love to compartmentalize our faith. We open our hearts to God on Sunday. We seek to hear his voice on Sunday. We ask for prayers at church on Sunday. But oftentimes, God is making his presence known to us in the unexpected places of routine, wanting to speak to us, to call us, to reveal himself to us, but we miss it completely because we're just too busy to stop. God shows up in the supernatural, wanting to replace Moses' ordinary busyness with an extraordinary purpose that would affect the lives of millions. But listen to verse 4. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Notice how God did not speak to Moses until he had his attention. When he turned aside to look, God spoke to him. Oftentimes, God does not speak to us because he does not have our attention. Oftentimes, the word does not reveal to you God in the way that it could because it does not have your attention. This morning, I want to encourage all of us to turn our attention to God. His presence might just be calling you. His presence might just be inviting you and beckoning you in order to infuse your life with a greater purpose, to take you from the busyness of your day-to-day and to give you a greater calling, a greater purpose that will not just bless your life, but will bless hundreds, who knows, thousands of people around you. And so God shows up in a burning bush that draws the attention of Moses. And we read the story, and if you've, if, if you've been in church or around church for a while, we say, yeah, the burning bush, like it's a normal thing. It's not a normal thing. A burning bush. And I was so touched by this moment as I studied this message a little more. The original Hebrew meaning to describe the bush here comes from the word to stick or to prick, meaning it was a thorn bush. A thorn bush is a reference to Genesis 3 verse 18, a figure of the curse when Adam sinned, he fell, and because of it, God cursed the ground and said that it would only bring forth thorns and thistles because of his sin. Now in this picture, the curse is in flames. The thorn bush is in flames, which fire in the Bible is often used to depict judgment because of sin. But here's the most beautiful part. The bush is not being consumed. A symbol of the mercy and the grace of God. The fact that the bush burned but was not consumed is what drew Moses near. It's what drew his attention. God's grace is calling us close to him. Sinful as we are, broken as we are, his judgment still stands. His holiness still stands. But it is immersed in his grace, and in his mercy. The presence of God is here, and you don't have to be perfect to encounter him. 
You don't have to have it all figured out to hear the voice of God. His mercy and his grace still draws the hearts of people today. God says, Moses, Moses. His first words to him are to call him by his name. And in that moment, after 40 years of being in the desert, perhaps feeling forgotten, confused, disappointed, regretful, resentful even, he hears his name. God knows him, and he is anything but forgotten. So let's keep reading in the story if you'll stand with me again. <laughs> God calls to him, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this, at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You may be seated. So the Israelites had been suffering for 400 years. And I'm sure that throughout this time, the Hebrews, including Moses, would have asked, where is God? They would have pleaded for God to intervene, for God to do something. And last week, Reuben brought us back to Genesis chapter 15 when God tells Abraham that the people of Israel would be taken captive and that the Egyptians would be cruel to them. It wasn't God who was cruel, but the Egyptians. We tend to take credit for all the good that happens in the world, and we blame God for all the evil, but God is not the author of our suffering. In fact, it is only because of God and his mercy that he can turn pain into glory. And so right in Genesis chapter 15, God lays out the Exodus plan. He makes Abraham a promise that he will rescue his people and bring them to a land of freedom. Now fast forward all these years through time where Moses, a broken and ordinary man, is standing before God at a burning bush. It's time for the grand exodus plan where God will take what could have been 2.4 million people from slavery and oppression into freedom. He's telling Moses about how he sees the misery of his people. And I'm sure that Moses was engaged in that conversation. Yes, God, I've been saying this for the past 40 years. This is unfair. This is unjust. Someone should definitely do something. And his heart was moved by the words of God as he described the suffering of the people. When next thing, he's completely caught off guard. When God acknowledges the suffering, and this is his solution, so now go. Three words that completely transform the life of Moses. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Wait, what? Is he talking to me? Someone definitely needs to do something, but what was that? 
what follows for the next two chapters is a dialogue between Moses and God. As Moses gives God excuse after excuse of why he's not the right person for the job. Clearly God has made a mistake. Surely this Exodus plan does not involve me. And I think Moses is so relatable. And as we are going to unpack the next two chapters, so often we see the suffering around us. So often we, we agree at the injustice and we say, we, say I, 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 we acknowledge what is out there. We're so quick to point out all the things that are wrong and all the things that could happen and all the things that should happen. And next thing God says, so now go. And all of a sudden, wait, what? <laughs> Something has to happen, but surely it can't involve me. Surely, God, you, you got the wrong person. And so today we're going to unpack some of those excuses and I'm going to invite you to take a deeper look at the excuses that maybe you have been giving God as to why he cannot use you, as to why he must be mistaken in his calling for your life. I don't know about you, I was speaking to a friend recently and I hate running on a treadmill. I'm an outdoor runner. <laughs> But I understand why people like treadmills, because the environment is more controlled. You can monitor the temperature, you can, you can control the pace, you can watch the TV show of your choice, you can watch The Office if you want. But man, you are going nowhere. <laughs> and that's what excuses do. They hold us in a place of comfort and of control. They prevent us from living with a purpose for moving forward. We're busy, ask anyone, how are you? Oh, they'll tell you they're busy. But are you really living? Are you running with a God-given purpose, going from glory to glory, as you experience the unpredictable seasons that God has prepared for you in this beautiful unfolding of his plan for your life that brings blessing not just to you, but to people around you. You're living, but are you really living? You're running, but are you moving forward? And it takes some courage to confront our excuses and to move forward. It's much easier to go about our lives taking the easier road as we hold on to the things that we've convinced ourselves of. It's much harder to look inside and to expose the potential falsehoods that are underlying the decisions that we make and preventing our surrender to God. My prayer is that the Holy Spirit today will help us reach a place of vulnerability where we're able to really look inside and expose the excuses that we've been making, maybe not even to follow the call of God for our lives and the specific things that God has placed on you, but the excuses that we have made to not even get close to God, to not even talk to him, to not even get to know who he is. My prayer is that we will reach a place of vulnerability, be honest with ourselves, and be honest in the presence of God. And so Moses speaks to God, and in this dialogue, his first excuse is, I'm not good enough. He says in chapter 3, verse 11, God calls him and says, so now go, and this is what Moses says straight after, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? 
and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? Moses feels completely inadequate, unqualified, and insufficient for the mission that God was giving him. And the truth is, he was. He was all of those things. We all are. And there is an element of righteous humility to this first excuse. We are flawed. We are insufficient. But what Moses didn't understand was that the calling of God on his life was not dependent on his capacity. He was being commissioned by the one who has no limits. By the one who is Alpha and Omega. By the one who is the creator of the universe. You see, too often we are unable to obey God because we are paralyzed by the insecurities of who we are and what we lack. But God is everything you are not. And he is able to do more than you could ever achieve, more than you could ever imagine. And God says to Moses, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that is That it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I love how God doesn't even address his question of identity. He goes, who am I? And God doesn't even say, well, you have these nice personalities and this is why I chose you. And you did this the other day and that was really good. And that's why I think you'd be good for this job. God ignores his question. And he redirects the focus of Moses from himself onto God. He says, I will be with you, and that's all you need to know. That's all you need to know this morning, that God says, I will be with you. When the storms rise, I will be with you. When the mission seems too great, I will be with you. When the task is too daunting, I will be with you. When the math doesn't add up, I will be with you. That is all you need to hear this morning. And when it gets hard, Philippians 4 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ who promised to be with me. Moses still comes back and he says, well, God, I I don't have all the answers. This is the second excuse. Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them, God? In other words, people are going to criticize me. They're going to question me. And I don't have all of the answers. I'm stepping into the unknown here. How will I respond to people and justify my actions? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. With his first excuse, God gave Moses his divine presence. With his second excuse, God gives Moses his divine presence name I am are you willing to surrender to this God are you willing to step out without having all of the answers but knowing that you can fully trust the God who does that when you're not smart enough he is that when you're not wise enough he is that when you don't know what's next he does I am is calling you I love this verse about Abraham. If we go back or go forward into Romans, it's talking about the story of Abraham. And when God told him that he was going to do the impossible in his life, he calls Abraham a man who is way old. His wife is barren. And God says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to do the impossible through you. This is what the Bible says about him. 
Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. He was fully persuaded that the great I am was calling him and that he was more than enough. Man, I want to be someone who is fully persuaded. I want to be someone that when people look at me, they see someone who doesn't have all the answers. They see someone who doesn't always know what's happening. They see someone who, who is insufficient, who is not enough at a lot of the times. But they see someone who is fully persuaded that the God who has called me is the God who will be with me. Fully persuaded that God will not forsake me, that God will provide, that God will equip, that God will be there. And he will never abandon me. He will never neglect me fully persuaded are you fully persuaded in the God who has called you he is more than enough and still Moses answers God and now his third is his third excuse is people won't believe me but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you and as the conversation goes further Moses' excuse get closer and closer to the heart of the problem. We do that a lot. There's a quote of Benjamin Franklin that says, it's common for men to give pretended reasons instead of giving one real one. We put out all these superficial excuses that, that, that hide the real issues in our hearts. And usually they're enough to keep people away. Oh, haven't seen you at church. Yeah, I've been busy. I haven't really heard from you lately. Yeah, I haven't really been on my phone. And usually it's enough for people to just leave you alone and end the conversation and, and, and stop you from having to get to the real problem. But God sees right through us. He sees what you're feeling. He sees what you're thinking. He sees right through you to what you're believing about yourself and what you're believing about him. Moses says, what if they don't listen to me? And really, he might as well have said, what if you're wrong, God? Because in a few verses earlier in Exodus 3.18, God had already told Moses, he had already promised Moses that the elders of Israel would listen to him. And so he might as well have said, well, I don't really believe what you're saying, and God, I don't really trust you. And I'm so grateful that God is patient, that God is merciful, that he is gracious. I say what ifs to God all the time. What if this doesn't really work out? What if I don't have all the answers? What if people think I'm a fool? What if I look ridiculous? What if this falls through? What if, what if, what if, what if? And with each what if, I am questioning the word of God. I am questioning the, the power of God. I am questioning his promises over my life, but thankfully, he is patient, he is merciful every day. And so he gives Moses three signs, and I don't have time to go into each of these, but he gives Moses three signs that could prove that it was God who was sending him. This wasn't just for external evidence. I think this was also a reminder and a reassurance to Moses that God's word was true and that he was trustworthy. Excuse number four, still Moses comes back. 
And he says, I'm a terrible public speaker. I don't know if you noticed, God. I don't know if you saw my resume, but this is not one of my strengths. <laughs> then Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, I don't know if Moses had an actual speech impediment or if being bilingual, speaking Egyptian and Hebrew in 40 years in the desert, if he had just lowered his self-confidence. Because in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, we read, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. But at this point, he has no confidence in his ability to speak. And maybe he did have a speech impediment, which really would have only qualified him even more for the job. We have such different selection processes in the world. We tend to look at people and measure their ability by the degrees that they have, the long resumes, the evidenced experience, how their reputation, how many followers on Instagram, and, and all these external things. And yet the Bible says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. I still struggle with this one. I'm not, and I can relate to Moses, I'm not, I'm not confident. Something you can learn about me today is I did most of my schooling in, in English. And though I grew up most of my life in Portugal, most of my schooling was in English. And so in Portuguese, if those of you who speak Portuguese, um, you'll know that there is just normal spoken Portuguese with friends and in a church setting. And then there's a professional, more formal way of speaking Portuguese. And I am not confident in my formal Portuguese. And so when God called us to start the Lisbon Project, I was so, I still am. <laughs> That's why I still struggle with this. So insecure about, God, are you sure I'm the one that should be presenting this idea? God, are you sure that you chose the right person? And I remember that this was about maybe four years ago. We had our first um, official meeting with, a, with somebody pretty high up in government and I was supposed to explain what the, what the Lisbon project was and the day before I was so nervous, so nervous. I was physically sick. I had to stop the car because I was so nervous. God, are you sure? But again, it's not about us. This is what Paul says. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Many of us this morning could probably share a long list of weaknesses and reasons why God should not be calling me. May I suggest that like Paul, you should be boasting about that list because it is what tells the world about the God that you serve. The weaknesses you are trying to hide are precisely what shows the world where your limitations meet the power of God. And I I know I'm not that eloquent. I know I don't have the technical know-how. I know that I'm too young or I know that I'm too old. But look how God is using me. The great I am has chosen you and will be glorified through you. I will boast of my weaknesses because it is showing the power of God working through me. In fact, the more it doesn't make sense, the more God gets the glory. God chooses the weak and the foolish things to shame the wise and the strong. Finally, Moses gets to the real problem. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please just send someone else. 
Moses is out of excuses. He finally admits the real issue. God, I just don't want to do it. It wasn't just that Moses felt incapable. It was that he was unwilling. And sometimes we come up with all kinds of excuses and really we're just covering up our unwillingness to obey God. And maybe today you have to come to the heart of the problem. Is it all these other things that you've been saying, all these other excuses of how you're not good enough and, and how this happened or that happened? Or is it just that you're unwilling? Is it just that you're still the king over your life? That you're still the owner of your decisions? Is it our pride that we are unwilling to surrender to God? I want to call the worship team as we enter a moment of surrender, of again looking inside of our hearts, what are the excuses that we have been giving God? And for every excuse you have, God has a promise that is so much greater. For every excuse that you put out there, just like Moses, God has a reassurance of who he is. And this morning, I want us to take the focus away from ourselves and place it back onto God. The one who is calling you is greater. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about what he wants to do through you. And the suffering that you see around you, maybe, just maybe, God is wanting to give you a greater purpose so that you can alleviate the pain of people around you, so that you can be a beacon of hope, so that you can bring light into darkness. When you say, God, I see what is happening, maybe God God is telling you, so now go. I am sending you. What is preventing you from surrendering to God? What is it that is stopping you from saying, here I am, God. Just send me. I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all together. God, I just see the first step that you're telling me to take. I don't, I don't know what's out there. This was just the first thing Moses had to do, go talk to Pharaoh. He had no idea of everything else that was coming. And good thing he didn't. <laughs> but what we see is a Moses who gradually increases his trust and his faith in God. What we see is a Moses who grows in his maturity. What we see is a Moses who gets to know the heart of God and becomes an incredible leader of thousands. What is stopping you? This morning, let's come to the Lord, and I'm going to invite you to stand. It's not about your capacity. It's about the one who is calling you. God wants to give you purpose, and he wants to reveal himself to you. Let's worship him this morning.